Hey everybody, we are Martin, Robert, and Francis, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Hey everybody, welcome to Snakes and Otters. This is episode 21, I am Martin. I'm Francis. And I'm Robert. You smell that? What? You smell that? What? Napalm, son. Nothing else in the world smells like that. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You know, one time we had a hill bomb for 12 hours. When it was over, I walked up. We didn't find one of them, not one stinking dink body, but that smell, that gasoline smell, the whole hill smelled like victory. Someday this war is going to end. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you're good. Uh, it's not Robert Duvall, of it's course. Not Robert Duvall. Well, there's only one. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, it still is an amazing line. Yeah. So those famous lines appear in the award-winning film Apocalypse Now, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and they were spoken by the character Colonel Kilgore, portrayed by Robert Duvall. By Robert Duvall, one of the all-time greats. But they were written by John Milius, and he's the subject of our episode today. Uh, this is one of our Our Heroes episodes, uh, our second after St. Thomas More, which might seem like a stretch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just we goes are, to show you we're not all the same. <laughs> we are nothing if not eclectic, gentlemen. So, but I think we're going to connect a little bit here between More and John Milius. Oh, really? I think so. Okay. So, Do tell. Francis, um, hit us with a little bit of uh, the bio on John Milius. Uh, you, we know him maybe as a director, uh, but he doesn't. He isn't really as famous for that as he should be. Perhaps his biggest directorial knowledge is Conan the Barbarian from '82, one of my favorite movies. Yeah, a huge success. It, huge, huge, it was hugely successful in many ways. It brought back the whole '80s fa uh, love affair in the movies with sword and sorcery fantasy. It was because Milius' successes with that. And he was absolutely perfect for that directorship. He had also directed The Wind and the Lion with Sean Connery uh, right before that. Uh, and he'd also directed uh, Red Dawn, which was right around that time, shortly after yes, that. Yes, and Red Dawn is a quintessential 80s Cold War document. That's right, yes. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Milius, uh, we may not know his... We, that's about all we can say with regards to his directorial prowess... But he is first and foremost, and he'll say this, a screenwriter. Yeah. And so he's a writer. That's what he did. Uh, when he learned how to write when he was young, he discovered he could quickly mimic, write in the style of certain great authors. Moby Dick was one of his favorites. He says, I could do Melville. I could do Jack Kerouac. Or I could do some of these other folks just because he's, he's got he the could, natural. He could pop between Hemingway and it's somebody right. else and, and write in their style. And not and never lose kid. his place. Yeah, that's right. Even he's, as a kid. He's truly a genius when it comes to screenwriting. And that's why we know him by his work, but we probably may not be able to name him. Most of the general public can't because he's, he's not done a lot of work recently. But some of the great moments in cinema, just like you said, he wrote Apocalypse Now. And it's based on the Joseph Conrad novel, of course, it's an adaptation. But according to Melius and Coppola, nobody in the 70s wanted to touch this movie. Nobody. But Melius thought it was a great challenge. And when we get into his bio a little bit, you'll get to understand why, because it was the Vietnam War on that. But he also was the one who wrote the great scene in Jaws, the story of the USS Indianapolis. 
He's the one that actually wrote that. Yes. Now, Robert Shaw edited it because the original version was 10 pages. <laughs> Spielberg says we can't do 10 pages on this no matter how good it is. So Shaw is the one that ended up cutting it back to the... <laughs> Gee, why not? But I, I, <laughs> well, you know, part of me wishes I'd love to see that. I'd love to see yeah. the long version of that. I don't know if it's out there at all because... But when you imagine how memorable a character Quint is in Jaws, it's not because he thought Richard Dreyfuss's character was... Get you know, a little kid jerk. It's because you get to the emotional punch of the Indianapolis that's scene. Correct. That's what. And Spielberg himself later said, "That's when we knew we had a movie." Was with that scene. So, and that's John Melius. He's exactly that. Uh, he was involved uh, with the writing of Conan the Barbarian, very much so. Uh, in the Hunt for Red October, which uh, was scored by one of his big buddies, uh, Basil Paul Duras. Uh, who did the score for both Conan and that, and, you, and Lonesome Dove, as well as many other things in Hollywood. They were they were uh, com- compadres going through. But Sean Connery asked for Milius to rewrite the script, the portions of the script that were the Russian scenes, which was Sean Connery, uh, you know, and and, uh, and all the other characters that played there, because he knew, having worked with him on The Wind and the Lion, that he got that. Some of those great lines that we've talked about from the movie Hunt for Red October, you know, if we get some buckaroo, <laughs> that is Melius. Yeah. Some of the amazing stuff he's done. He also wrote the Dirty Harry stuff. Uh, Go ahead, make my day. Do I feel lucky, punk? That's Melius. <laughs> yeah. We know his work so much from so many different things. We uh, don't know he's behind it. But that's we, right. We, we probably know don't. the words. We know what he wrote. So, but just... Uh, you know, a little bit of behind all that, where he gets to there from, he grows up in Southern California. Mm-hmm. He's a surfer. Yes. He, he loves surfing. He always wanted to be a surfer. He, he calls himself else. Viking Man. Yeah. Um, but he ends up at USC Film School, same time as... George Lucas. George Lucas and... Uh, Spielberg. Spielberg. And uh, Basil Paul Duras was there with him, and there, there are others. The, so... All of those famous filmmakers are all that same generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Coppola, Spielberg, all and Milius is right there in the middle of all of it, and they all adore him. Yeah, because he's an amazing writer. <laughs> they, they just know it. Yeah, he he gets it. He understands the, what we've been talking about earlier about story and how it gets, uh, how it functions, and how it's built, and the emotional hit. Milius nails it. He nails it every time. And he becomes very much in demand in Hollywood as a screenwriter in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, one of the interesting things that I noticed when you're looking at the movies that he's been involved with, not just the ones that he's uh, directed and written, but he was commissioned to write a crap ton of scripts, never got developed. Yeah, yeah. Which you know goes to show you that he was very much in demand. Because you know, they don't pay money for scripts. I mean, a lot of money, scripts get paid out, uh, probably back then more so than now, but... You know, you don't pay money for to some hack to give you a script that you might maybe. Yeah, he do was he like was that. that dependable and that good. In fact, uh, the character of Big Jim in Amer- American Graffiti, that's Melius. That's that's exactly what a lot uh, of the filmmakers Lucas he worked did that. with. Yeah. Lucas basically put him in the movie. Yeah, but little bits of him, John Milner, that and and that the drag race kind of that's mm-hmm. that's, that's right. a Milius influence thing. Yeah. The Big Lebowski, uh, what is that character's name? The Dude. The, no, not The Dude. Uh, oh. Milius is the basis of... 
John Goodman's character. John Goodman's character. Yes, whose name I cannot remember like that. In The Big Lebowski. Well, it, it, it fits. So that's another, an, another tribute to him from a, a, a younger generation of filmmaker. Right, who's, who still felt his legacy. Yeah. Uh, both, in, both as a filmmaker, but mostly as, like I said, mostly as a writer, a speaker, a thought leader in many ways. This guy could write it. Uh, and he was, and it was an amazingly broad ability that he could do this because he's writing all sorts of different things. Although there's some, there's some relationship to Melius the man, yeah. and Melius the writer, and what he turns out. It's kind of an he's an adventure, and that's story kind of where writer. I'm wanting to lead us here is yeah. that one of the reasons he's so good at what he does is because of who he is, and I think that was worth a little bit of exploring to explain that how can a guy that can basically is responsible for some of the most iconic film moments in American cinematic history in the last 50 years, even though he may not be known for it. How did he come to be so good at it, and why did everybody want him, and why was he so dependable on this? Interesting. Interesting. Um, you know, he had asthma. Bad asthma. Chronic, yeah. Yeah, so he he tried to enlist. Uh-huh. Could to be a jarhead. Yeah, he, he wanted, wanted to be, be a, a marine. marine. That's yeah. right. In the late sixties, did not get to to fulfill that. That was devastating to him. <laughs> which is to me, that's very interesting. You know, we spent it's the height of the Vietnam War. You want to be a marine, and you're devastated that you can't get in. That's right. That's that a, tells you something about the man. <laughs> that is exactly it. It's a, especially since it's so countercultural in many ways. You know, we've spent a lot of time in our recent episodes talking about why are people the way they are. We did it with Kaiser Wilhelm. We did it with Queen Elizabeth, and also, you know, we we really want to kind of get underneath. What it is that makes people interesting or great? Yeah, and it does go back to that family of origin so many ways. Yeah, uh, and it, 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 it certainly is always there in the background. But for Melius, it's foundational. He really that's he he says if you if you watch the the uh, the uh, making of video on the Conan the Barbarian uh, DVD, it's it's a forty five minute. Uh, <laughs> thing, and it's mostly Melius, and he's talking, and he says that he wanted to be a general. Seriously, that's what he wanted to do in life. He wanted to be a military. Uh, he's been known for wearing special forces berets, this sort of thing. He, he military history and and a, and a conflict approach to life is what he operates out of, and I think that is one of the things I'm submi- I'm submitting. Yeah. That's why he writes so daggone good, because he gets the concept of conflict and how it has yes. to happen. Yes. Well, yeah, you know, there's, there's a couple of cliches that, that many people who are creatives will, will tell you, and one of them when it comes to writers is writers have to write. It's not their job, it's who they are. That's right. You, ha- you know, for some guys, they will tell you it is physically painful to not write for more than you know, a day at a time. Got to get it out. Got to get it out. Got to bang that stuff out. And no, that's not a euphemism. So, although for some writers it might be. So, for 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 a real writer, for somebody who's a true storyteller, because really, when, you're, when it comes to fiction, that's what you're doing. You're, you're telling a story. And even nonfiction, you have to tell some kind of narrative. Mm-hmm. Unless you're doing a very academic, dry piece that only other dry academics are going to read, and then who cares? you got to have a story. you got to have some kind of narrative. And it seems that that's what... Uh, he's really good at is is that narrative because that's understanding the essence of what makes a good story Mm -hmm. and conflict is always going to be part of that if there's no conflict in a story it's going to be very boring because if everybody agrees 
Who cares? Yeah, exactly. Even yeah. we don't always agree in the stuff we talk about. And I think his his military his aficionado ness that's not the right word affinity affinity for, thank you uh, his, his affinity for all things military puts his understanding of conflict at a global level at a meta level at a huge level so he's able to work in the intricacies even in a small script or a large script I mean think about it he wrote Apocalypse Now this is one of the most amazing. Screenplays, I think, in American cinematic history. Uh, I think it's one of the very best stories. It's a journey story, uh, which he steals that from Conrad, yes. But he transforms it in many ways where it's about the change that happens to the characters along the way. And that's what makes it fascinating. It's not just about the destination. It's about the process. Well, you know, that's that's a, a probably the most common, very mo- probably the most popular type of story there is. Mm-hmm. The hero's journey. That's right. And, you know, not every movie, not every story will, will follow that. And not even all of them who are, that are supposedly about a particular hero will follow that convention. But those are the most compelling stories. That's right. Where the hero human. is the reluctant hero, where he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go do whatever. And he has to be dragged into it for the greater good. Mm-hmm. And overcomes great odds yeah. to finally win at the end. Right. You know? And Emilius takes that and he turns it on its head slightly. With Apocalypse Now, because he juxtaposes that to the one who has been on the similar journey, Colonel Kurtz, and failed. And cru- it, got, it crushed his soul. And, and it crushed his soul. And so you've got this juxtaposition of these two heroes' journeys at odds with each other. Willard, of course, wins in the end because he does not succumb, or does he? That's the brilliance of Millions <laughs> here. That open. That's, the, that's right. He's, he, he really nails it. And that's what's so great about his yeah. ability. So this has all been good stuff. We've covered our appreciation for his professional achievements. But that's not what makes him the hero to us. That's not why we're talking about him as an episode. Because if that's all we were going to do, then this would just evolve into us sitting here doing lines from all these movies. Which we could do if you Which really want to. Which we could do for like an hour and a half. Because yeah. they're... Admittedly, they're probably guy movies, so I mean, we're attracted to them anyway. Yeah. But again, Dirty Harry, Jeremiah Johnson, Magnum Force, Wind and the Lion, Jaws, Apocalypse Now, 1941, Conan, Red Dawn, Farewell to King, Hunt for Red October. Rough Riders. Rough Riders, which was awesome. Uh, the TV series Rome. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, great he, stuff. He was the he was the he's in a, involved in all that. He's a very masculine guy. Yeah, I mean he's uh, it's a very it's a very Hemingway in many ways. It's the same time he's the man's man. Melis is the same way. Yeah, that's what's so admirable about him. But beyond that, he's a rugged individualist mm-hmm. that never conformed to. Convention. He's Jeremiah Johnson. He, uh, yeah, uh, that's it. You mentioned it before. When he wrote that piece, yeah. that's him finding his voice, finding his identity. That's right in Hollywood, and that's what he found among the when he other did that. the other professionals. Again, he's in the same generation as Scorsese and Spielberg and Lucas and Coppola. But a, he's different from all of them. Got a great quote here from Spielberg. And so, oh, yes, I love this. Go for it. Okay, so and Spielberg, Spielberg was saying that you know, even though they are all contemporaries, he was saying all those guys looked up to him. He was like 
the the scoutmaster is what he called him. This is <laughs> yeah. great. He says he's the one who would tell you to go out on a trip and only take enough food, enough water for one day, and then make you stay out longer than that. He's the one who says, "Be a man. I don't want to see any tears." He's a terrific raconteur, a wonderful storyteller. John has more life than all the rest of us put together. And I love that word raconteur. In my notes here for the episode, you can see where I wrote raconteur. Yeah. And that's just the greatest word of all. And some other ways that he describes himself is as a Zen anarchist. Yeah. Yeah. It is just any uh loves the Japanese culture. Very much, very much into the samurai. He's into yes. samurai and shogun and all that kind of stuff. And he you loves know, all that. This is we don't talk about this very much because it probably has not had an opportunity to come up. But this is I think one of the things that makes a guy like Milius great. He's not so focused on a single interest. He is he has a broad I guess a just a rhythm. broad range of things that he, that have influenced him. Yes. He may not do a lot of different things. You're about to say a Renaissance man. I was, yes. Uh, which, in his interests, absolutely, his, his, what forms him, I think that's ac- absolutely accurate. Yeah. Um, but still, his focus is on the storytelling. But he uses all of those things to tell the story. All Matter of fact, used. if he hadn't seen a Japanese movie, probably a samurai movie, I forget which one it said, he probably wouldn't have become a filmmaker. He wanted to be an artist. Always still wanting to tell stories. All artists tell stories through their, their yeah. art. And he's been all over. I mean, he's a, yeah, wanted to be a surfer. He wanted to be yeah. everything. But it, yeah, it was but one he of was the, always himself. It was Akira Kurosawa, it, those movies. Yeah, he yeah. was in Hawaii. Uh, after he got basically told he can't go to the military, Yeah, he said that's what saved him. Because it's all of a sudden he realized that's really how I fell in love with cinema. So... Um, Rugged individualism. Yeah, that's what I want to explore, though. That's what makes him so important to me. He never fit in. Um, one of his quotes here is... Let me make sure I get this right, because I've got it right here. And it's... Uh, he wants to hate all form of government because government should be done to cattle, not human beings. Wow. <laughs> really? So, I mean... It's he, his anarchist coming out. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, he, he's, he is labeled generally as a conservative or right-winger in a very liberal Hollywood. Right. Well, that doesn't take much, but, but yes. But he, you know, he pushes back on labels yeah. to a large degree. Because he is so broad. And he, he, he's, he aligns himself publicly with conservatives, but that's a convenience of course or you know that's a, that's a, when it comes right down to it you got to make a choice um but he's always himself he's always his own thing different from everybody else different from any other uh conservative in hollywood different from charlton heston yeah you yeah know. He, and he's not and you can't even call him a straight across the board uh, he's not. right winger because he endorsed minimum wage laws yep you know most that are called right wingers would never uh you know although many that our Republicans certainly have. Okay. Wasn't there a Republican president who uh, in- enacted one of the biggest increases? Uh, I, it, I think so, yes. Anyways. Yeah, well, we don't, we don't. He, he's kind of like what uh, I've heard this applied to a, a few individuals in recent days. The man who has no Fs left to give. <laughs> yeah. That's, he's yeah. all out of them. He's not it's, going to give any. My because bucket he is empty. His bucket is empty. That's right. And, uh, uh and it's, it's, it's essentially him. He doesn't care. He believes what he believes. 
He stands up for what he believes. Yes. And he doesn't take any crap off anybody. I Ian McShane is who the guy that was that was told he has no F's left to give. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's the great part is it's not so much what he believes, it's that he never backed off of any of them. He um, was committed and, and, and confident. Yeah. A uh, great thing that he said about himself. He said, I'd like to be Jack Hawkins in Bridge on the River Quad. I call myself romantic. I believe in a lot of 19th century ideals. Chivalry, honor, loyalty, and romantic love. Now, that says a lot of things about him. Also says a lot of things about our uh, society and culture when, <laughs> when you call those a 19th century ideals. How are those not universal? They should be. Yeah. It's kind of that. That's the universal question we're talking about here. That's one of the reasons we like him is because he stands up not just for what he believes. We hear that all the time. Well, this person stands up for what they believe. Well, they may believe doo doo. Yeah, I mean, they, it's what uh, he believes in is worth believing in. That's great. Exactly it's right. Very universal, and he's a great exponent of it. All Ideals, the same not time. causes. Yeah, exactly. That's a big difference. Yeah. Ideals, not causes, and and he's fun while doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's fun. He's not this. Hyper he, uptight individual. Right, he's not. A, he's not a. Uh, what's the word? A martinet. A uh, prima donna. No, the 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 word for somebody that tells you what you ought to think without really being able to tell you why you ought to think that. Uh, uh, oh, the word that comes to mind would probably alienate people, so I won't say it. Yeah, it's just that you know he's Sick not a. Food? No, no uh, um, uh, it's like a, t- a word for a teacher, but it's a teacher who is just spouting stuff at you. Um, uh, I'm not sure what demagogue, word you're ideologue. Uh, yeah, close to demagogue. I, yeah. I'm not sure why I'm blanking on the right word here, yeah. but it's. Have we had too much bourbon today? Well, you know, is, I the, is that is that is that even possible? Sure yes, possible. theoretically. So it's, it's, it's kind of like Bigfoot. They say it's out there, but nobody's ever seen it. So I've got to yeah. Let's just raise the glass real quick. We'll raise the glass to Milius while we're doing it. You can hear that. Hear the, the clink, hear the, the clink, and the ice, hear the ice moving. Yeah, he had a stroke in 2010. Uh, he apparently recovered from that, but you know, and he's you know he's getting older. We all are, of course, but uh, uh, he's he's somebody that's still admired, still admirable in many ways. He's he's still liked by compatriots in Hollywood, even though they have these sharp political differences. Absolutely. Um, they, they, people still believe in him. Mm-hmm. Which shows that, for some people anyway, it's not always about politics. You can be friends and put that stuff aside and just agree to disagree. And that's a, and that's a good thing. Can. Uh, yeah. I would that we would see more of that. I wish, yeah. And that's one of the reasons he's worth uh, holding up as a model here is because he's a model for how that's done well. I've never heard him badmouth Spielberg, Coppola, any no, of them. No, no, they, they all have, and nor them him. They all respect each other tremendously. And some of that is talent, and some of that is just, that's just who he is. Who he is. So again, it's another, interesting because another way to hold it's, him up. You know, they all, have, they all have similar shared experiences because they all came up together. And the shared experiences were more important than the differences, which is what, you know, why I think that's a great thing. Because we don't see that anymore. The shared experiences are almost nil yeah. when you disagree anymore. Post-war California. Yeah. It's post-war California. It's it's that, like you saw in American Graffiti, uh, cruising, mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 what do you call it, the burger places and the car hops and, yeah. and drag racing and all that stuff, surfing. 
It's all that same post-war California environment. Well, yeah, that's and that's who he was. And I mean, for goodness sakes, they wrote him into the darn thing. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that's a very good snapshot of exactly what he represents. Not just him, many others, but uh, he's definitely one of them. Um, now, there's a favorite anecdote that we have <laughs> that we gotta we gotta bring this in because we mentioned Chuck Heston. So, again, just a, this little bit of a. A window into who he is, how honest he was with people, how forthright, and basically a way of saying, you ought to be like me. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the anecdote appears in Charlton Heston's biography, In the Arena. And it's from the early 90s, the uh, Rodney King riots. Yep. So, if you don't know who that is, Google it. <laughs> it is a long time ago for some of you, I know. But Heston relates the story as he got quite a few calls from his anti gun friends. Again, Heston, very famous president of the NRA at one point. Um, and the calls inevitably began with So, Chuck. You've got a lot of uh, guns, right? So Charlton Heston would, of course, say, yes, I do. And the caller would be wanting to borrow one because it gets scary out there sometimes. And he tried, the caller would always relate, I tried to buy one, but they have this waiting period. (laughs) (laughs) To which Heston would reply, yes, I know it gets scary out there. And yes, I know they have a waiting period. I remember you voted for that. So Heston would be a a nice guy, and he'd say, look, the Marines are coming up from Camp Pendleton. That's going to end the riot. When it's all done, go buy yourself a shotgun. Get some lessons. If I loaned you a gun now, you'd just end up hurting yourself because I can't teach you in an afternoon. Then he, he concludes the anecdote with, my friend John Milius, his reply was more forthright. They're all being used. <laughs> so, it's one of my favorite stories out of that book. Yeah, it's that's the best thing. And, and just, hey, you got guns, right? Can I borrow one? Well, they're all being used. <laughs> Which is very much the uh, anarchist response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to need all of them. Sorry, yes. I can't share. Um, uh. But he also, you know, again, he has no F's left to give. <laughs> <laughs> They're long gone. There's been a hole in the bucket. It's yes. yeah, fantastic. This man here, he's just, he's so much amazing to walk, to walk, to learn about. So, though at the beginning I hinted that there, for me at least, there's a connection. Yes. To Thomas More, we haven't hit that. Please do tell. I'm, I am intrigued. You're yes, intrigued. me too. Me too. Well, you know, you all were enamored of Moore for the really the same idea. He had beliefs, not causes. Yes. And he acted on those beliefs no matter the consequences. Consistently. And never so. strayed. And yeah. never strayed from those beliefs. That's right. Now, of course, Moore's consequences were considerably more than yes. Hollywood ostracism like Milius might have faced. But to me, it's that same idea of a person who's firm in what he believes in, believes that he's right, 
and doesn't back down. Now, he's not brutal or belligerent about it, but just doesn't want to back down regardless of the consequences. So that's what, why I think he's, it ties into this whole heroes and why there's a theme mm-hmm. to these Our Heroes episodes for us. That's right. Well, Milius himself said it very clearly. He says, never compromise excellence. That, that defines him so well. Yeah, because, you know, how you define excellence, it, it, first of all, is very much a personal thing. Yes. But saying never compromise, that, that is the essence of if you believe it, if you truly believe it, then you can't compromise. If it's a belief that's honestly come to, yes. tested it, and you feel that you're right, don't back down. Be yourself. Always be yourself. Mm-hmm. To thine own self be true. I think that goes from Aristotle right through to Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, absolutely. Be yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's one of those great common uh, truths that I think is part of all good storytelling. Yes. You know, it's you were talking about before the in the show prep about you know different kinds of universal conflicts that there are only six types. There's only a certain number of story types and so on, uh, and we instinctively know when a story doesn't work because all of these mm-hmm. things are so ingrained in everybody's subconscious. Mm-hmm. Even people who do not have a written history, like you look at uh, societies that are still mostly oral-based. Granted, there's not a whole lot of them left, but even when they're encountered, and you know, even today now, maybe they, they have a written history, the the story has essential elements that we all know and understand. It's almost like it's programmed into us. Yeah. And Hard-wired. Yeah. And when you have somebody who has a great combination of, these are my principles, I'm going to stand for them, I'm going to tell some really good stories, that's a pretty good mix. Now, they may not always mix in whatever particular project he's working on, but it makes for a really interesting individual. Yeah. 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 Well, he, he says very clearly, if you don't have any true passion in whatever you're doing, it's not going to be done with any true artistry. And, that, and that's universal. No matter yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, there's a lot to admire here. The, the, the principles and, well, he's just a damn good storyteller. Mm-hmm. A, a, a professional accomplishment that's, that's worth admiring. Wow. Super cool. So how do you guys want to end this up? Do you want to... Famous uh, or favorite Milius moments or favorite Milius lines or... Oh, you've already used mine. Well... They're all being used. They're all being used. <laughs> well, you know... Because <laughs> I know you... I, listeners of, of everybody in all three of us, Francis is just nuts for Conan the Barbarian. That's very true. I can... Uh, there's lots of great stuff in there that you can, that you can steal. You know, the, the most famous of all is probably Conan, what's best in life. Crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and see the lamentation of the women. I'm not as good as hear Arnold. The well, hear the lamentation of the women. Well, here, see, it's okay. Uh, I'm not a very good, uh, uh, not a very good Arnold guy, but uh, he's to so crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and hear the lamentation of the women. That's right. That's, that's, that's a little it's, closer. It's better. It's better. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's amazing to to so many different things that he comes up with. Uh, Apocalypse Now. We could do the whole movie, probably. And that is completely Melius. I mean, he did all of that himself. Yeah, that's all. You know, uh, you know the the fact. You know, there's beyond it. There's only Kurtz. You know, that sort of that sort of drama that does not come off as melodramatic. You know, uh, and he 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 took uh, in many respects one of the great prima donnas of cinema at the time, Marlon Brando, 
and in many respects brought him to heel. He couldn't, he, he had to play that part and play it well because of the way it was written. That's what I like about him. Don't whisper. Don't whisper. <laughs> Crush your enemies. See some driven before you. Yes, we can do this. Oh, yeah, don't get me started on doing lines from Apocalypse Now. Because uh, then I'm, uh, let's see. Are you an assassin? <laughs> You're an errand boy sent by grocery clerks to collect a bill. Yeah. I, is there a better put down of an individual's assignment uh-huh. in a story? Uh, I, that's a terrible way to put it, but. No, but it's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely it, it's brilliant, brilliant because he nails redu- it. Of reducing the Willard character to a chump. That's right. Irrelevancy. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're an errand boy sent by grocery clerks to collect a bill. Right. So uh, brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. Robert, what about you, man? I told you. They're all being used. Man. They're all being that used. That is just absolutely my favorite. Because to me, it goes back to that uh, these are my principles and I, and I won't compromise. Yeah. Uh, in addition, you know, I'm sure there's a little bit of a... A little bit of a smart ass in there too. It's like, oh, really? So it was your idea for for the waiting period, just like Chuck said too. Yeah, him. I remember you, know, you voted. You were for so that. against all these things. So why, you know, why should I help you? Yeah, uh, I'm sure there was a bit of that in there yeah. as There's well. There's a little bit of it's a little bit snide. Yeah, yeah, it's it's you made your bed, lie in it now. Yeah, and just but just the the audacity, you know, just yeah. the, the balls. Oh. It's, 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 you know, <laughs> audacity is a great word. If you remember the movie The Wind and the Lion which was with Sean Connery, and Brian Keith plays Teddy Roosevelt, who was one of Belius's personal oh, heroes. Oh, he was one of his heroes, yes. yes. He, he, he filmed was twice. instrumental in getting Teddy Roosevelt the Congressional Medal of That's Honor. right. And Brian Keith... Posthumously, obviously. Yeah, Brian Keith does an amazing job if you've seen the movie. It's a great movie anyway. And there's a scene in the middle of it that nails Melius perfectly. Because he's speaking... Teddy Roosevelt is speaking to a group of reporters at his ranch in Montana, or the South Dakota, and they've killed a bear that morning. And they're all talking about... And Melius lets Teddy Roosevelt be the mouthpiece for his own personal uh, ideals. He believes the world will never love us. He said the bear should be our natural sim- national symbol, not this ridiculous eagle. It's a dandified vulture. The, bla- the, bear- <laughs> the bear is a little blind and reckless, but he's always alone. He says that's a uniquely American characteristic. Huh. The world will never love us because we have too much audacity. <laughs> that's, wow. that's Melius. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's that's such an American thing. Yes, it's, yeah. it's such a Roosevelt thing, but and it's, it's such a Amelia's thing, thing at the same time. It's yeah, a, yeah, that's that's great. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel. <laughs>